This is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we have an amazing guest. He is a proud father, husband, and an awesome friend. He is passionate about helping entrepreneurs, athletes, and youth who are considered to be at risk because of their environments that they're in. He has a desire to know their purpose, to help them transform their lives, uh, but also to not just transform their lives, but to transform the lives of the people that are around in their communities. He is a businessman. Uh, He is focused kind of in the payment processing world. But one of the things that I love about him is he has such a huge heart for people. He is a man of value, integrity, passion, and community. And I am excited to dive into his story today of becoming more than before. Keith Sconiers, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you on the program. Um, you have such an amazing story. And so I'm, I'm really excited uh, to have you on today. How are you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing amazing. Can we just go ahead and end the podcast right here so that we just leave people just intrigued and like... Like, man, that was awesome. I got to find out more. (laughs) I mean, isn't it funny, though? Because with with all the intros, it's funny because as I've been doing the podcast piece, people I ask people, how do you want me to introduce you? And then I look about like maybe about 15% of the stuff that they send me. I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's good. And then I'm like, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. And then they're like, you make me sound so good. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we should keep going with this interview. Like it was, this was a good, this was a good point. Like, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let you down here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I love about your story is you have in your story so many ups and downs and to the person that would see you now as successful as you are and the type of accolades that you've been able to achieve in your lifetime, I think most people would say, man, like uh, Keith has got it going on. Like he must have, he must have had it good growing up and everything was perfect. Um, but when we actually dive into your story, like, so you grew up in West Fresno, California, which if I'm not correct, isn't like the most great place to raise kids. Um, mm-hmm. But you had a very interesting childhood. You had a very interesting environment when you were growing up. What what was that environment like for you? For those of you that don't know Keith, I, I would love for you to explain a little bit. What was that environment growing up and, and how did that kind of have an impact on how you were growing up? First of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Anytime I get an opportunity to be on someone else's show to share my story, it's a blessing uh, because I don't, I truly like feel like I'm not even supposed to be here. When you ask me about what was the environment like, I think it was like most people's environments. Like there was some positive, obviously, because we probably had somewhere to sleep. We probably had some food to eat. We probably had, you know, a parent for, or someone who was uh, responsible for us that was kind of taking care of the basic necessities. But then there was also the other side of that where there was a lot of fear there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of, you know, in my, in my case, in my story was abuse, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, um, abuse that I experienced all throughout my life up until the point that I got to high school. Within that, I think, you know, a lot of people might say, well, tell me more about that. And we'll get an opportunity to to talk more about those things today. But, you know, growing up, there was just a lot of adversity. So just to unpack that a little bit. Like I was born and raised, as you mentioned, in Fresno, California, raised to my mom, who was a hardworking mom, who was a single mom, really up until the point that she met my stepdad in the first grade. Her and my dad never really um, 
got married. It was common law marriage back in the day and they didn't work out. And so my mom was a single mom. She had two boys, my older brother and I, and she was doing everything that she could to provide for us. And then she finally found, you know, my stepfather, who was a great man, but he was old school and his disciplinary style was very different. You know, if you mm. look back to the people who were raised in the fifties and sixties, it was what we considered to be abusive. You know, we got disciplined with extension cords and belts and, you know, mm. switches from the tree and things like that. And when I went to the fifth grade that going into the fifth grade, actually the summer after my fourth grade year, child protective services stepped in and took custody of my older brother and I and gave it to my biological dad. And when I would say what it was like for me up until that point, from the first to the fifth grade, well, let me start before that. So from me coming into the world, into the first grade, I missed my dad because my dad was all over the place. He had gotten involved in the wrong crowd, you know, and so I missed my dad a lot. And then I still miss my dad, but then enter my stepfather. And here's this man who's like kind of the head of the household who I didn't have a great relationship with at the time. So from mm. the first to the fifth grade, I was completely afraid. I mean, I used to, man, I, I've never shared this on a podcast. I used to wet the bed, you know, as a kid, you know, f because I was so traumatized by fear and um, being waking up in the middle of the night with a belt on my back because I forgot mm. some chores or just different, just the, just the experience of being afraid. Like I was afraid and that's what fit first to the fifth grade represented for me. And then I went to live with my, with my biological dad, who was still battling incarceration, mental health issues, addiction, incarceration, and all those things. And you would think that life was going to get better, right? And I think that for me, going to live with my dad, because I did miss him so much, I thought things were going to get better. And things did not get better. Things, it's like, <laughs> they call it, I think some people say, like, out of the frying pan into the fire kind of thing. <laughs> It was like, I was, it was like, holy moly, like there's a whole nother, like, and I think this translates to some people because some people are listening in right now and they wish they had a different problem than they have right now. And I think sometimes when you, when you look at, you know, other people's lives, it was like, man, I, when I went to live with my biological dad, I was like, man, I want my old problems back. <laughs> you know I, mean? I like the old problems. Like, yeah, the my old new problems. I think I can handle those because... <laughs> You know, here I am, I live with my, my biological dad who's battling addiction, incarceration, and, and all of these really, really heavy things that I had to contend with. Mm -hmm. And it made the first to the fifth grade look like preschool, you know? Like, I'm seeing um, women involved in um, fornication and drugs for the exchange of drugs, right? And me participating mm -hmm. in that as a sixth, seventh grade kid, mm. right? And being exposed to that, to, you know, having altercations with my dad where ice, an ice pick gets pulled, you know, like me pulling an ice pick on my dad out of frustration of the things that I'm experiencing to being mm. left at home for days at a time and not knowing where he was and if he was alive or or any of those things. And so being expelled six times before I got to high school from the, from the fifth to the eighth grade, living in six different homes with my biological dad to, you know, just all of the challenges that, that go along with coming up in the world without the, like, a healthy environment. Right. And so yeah. if you were to ask, you know, Hey, take us through what it was like and what your childhood was like, like, that's what it was like up until the point that I got to high school. You know, it's, I love what you say about, you hear someone else's story 
you're like, man, I wish I had their problems. Their problems mm-hmm. seem way better than my problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in reality, if you were to jump into that person's shoes, their problems are just as bad as our problems. In fact, most of the problems that we see in other people's lives are just scratching the surface, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I know that you were saying, you know, just a second ago that you were kicked out of school six times. Mm-hmm. Like, that's 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 pretty crazy. And and not only that, then going into high school, high school got even worse. Um, for a brief period until mm-hmm. there was a man who stepped into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I think even looking back at this point, I think it's funny that this man bribed you. <laughs> he, my dad he bribed did, yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. It was your stepdad. Was it your stepdad my, or was it your dad? My biological dad. Yeah, my your biological, biological dad. dad. Yeah. It was like, you should try it. I'll give you a hundred dollars. And I was like, man, that sounds <laughs> like I can get some spinners with, with a hundred dollars, you know, like you could get. You know, a hundred dollars for for a kid that's a freshman in high school is like that's a lot of money. That's a that's a ton of money. So yeah. your dad steps not today because in. of inflation and all those things. But <laughs> yeah. like, you can get like a burrito and like well, a couple we, we wanna, rates. We want to keep everyone up on you know in a positive place. Let's not let's not go back to the inflation thing. <laughs> this is a feel good podcast. Come on, man. Let's go back to everything that we're talking about with your past. No. <laughs> we're here talking about more. Well, that's less. That's less than before. That's not more than before. (laughs) But there's, I think what's really fascinating is your father saw something in you that he wanted to pull out of you. And Mm -hmm. the fact that at that point he knew that one of the encouragement pieces for you was going to be a monetary piece. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. hey, go go try out for the basketball team and you do this. I'm going to pay you a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. Like that's. In hindsight, like you look back at that and you go, did your dad really know what he was doing yeah. back then? Like, I'm curious, have you had that conversation with your dad of, of what he was thinking when he offered you to that hundred dollars? No, no, I think <laughs> I've reminded him, but I don't think that he, I don't think that he truly gets and understands um, how much of my story is because of him. Right. And so mm-hmm. I really want to double down on like kind of going back just a little bit now that people have had an opportunity to hear what it was like from the fifth to the eighth grade, living with a man who was addicted to, you know, cocaine and battling addiction and incarceration and on parole and having mental health challenges and all of these things. And me also recognizing that the fifth to the eighth grade is what made me who I am today. Mm. Because if my dad did not take me to AA, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to hear people encouraging people, encouraging Mm. one another to, to get through and how to have a, a 12 step process to, to put their life back together. If I didn't live with my dad from the 58th grade, I wouldn't have recognized that in the days that he left me home alone by myself, that the fact that I still went to school the next day on the first day, on the second day, and on the third day, then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be, to recognize within myself that I had courage and that I had strength and responsibility in my life. Mm. Right. And so the challenges that, that were presented to me that because of my dad and his own challenges, right. Helped shape who I am today. Right. And I still look back on those times. And even through all the adversity, I still look back on those times as the greatest time of my life because I, I got to be with my dad, right? Like it's mm-hmm. broken and his challenge that all the challenges that he had to deal with and contend with on a daily basis, just within his own life and not being prepared maybe to be a father. Like he, Took, when I got when I got kicked out of school, I went to work with him or I went to work with my uncles. And so the fact that I got to go to work with him and see him in his genius and to see how people looked at him on the job and to see 
he was one of the best builders and construction uh, general general contractors in Fresno, California when he was on. Right. Mm. And so the fact that I got to see his genius and and be inspired by who he was at work was something that really shaped um, who I am today. And so his story is so interwoven throughout my own story. And the way that I approach life is so much because of him, because there were times where he would say, hey, it's not always going to be like this. Son, don't cry for me or better days are coming. Like all of those things help shape my perspective in terms of how to think about life and to look mm. forward and to look toward something in the future where life would be better. And so he taught me something that I call the breakthrough mentality, which is in the midst of the adversity, know that everything that you're going through right now is really building towards this future that is brighter. Mm. And so I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do today had I not had an opportunity to live in six different homes with a man who was battling addiction, incarceration, and mental health challenges. I mean, it's so powerful, even up to this point, like, like you, you've had people in your life that we would say maybe aren't the greatest role models, but you were able to learn from them. You were able to um, extract things from those relationships. And maybe that wasn't necessarily right in the moment when those things weren't happening. But even looking back, you can say, man, I, I really cut my teeth. I really developed myself and who, and, and got to know who I was through that process as difficult as that was. You know, there was another person in your life that uh, I think was pretty big, and that was your your uncle Chuck, right? Yeah, uh -huh. uh, and he also saw something in you. I would say probably around that high school era where he said, "You know what, this kid's this kid's got opportunities ahead of him, mm -hmm. but he needs someone to invest in him." What what was that relationship with your uncle Chuck? How did how did he kind of become? a pillar for you to kind of stand on so that you could continue moving up into the ranks like yeah. within basketball, because basketball was yeah. a huge part yeah. uh, of, of part of your life. But in order to get there, truly, you know, your father started with mm -hmm. that encouragement of a hundred bucks to get mm -hmm. into basketball. Mm -hmm. But then your uncle Chuck saw you and he said, yeah, we, we need to do more with this. Right. What, what was yeah. that? What was that relationship and how did that help to develop you? Yeah. So it was a relationship that was, Man, my Uncle Chuck is like at certain points he was probably like just it he was just instrumental. He and my Aunt Frankie, right? Because it was a partnership. My Uncle Chuck and my Aunt Frankie. My Aunt Frankie's my dad's sister. They were the model family that we all looked up to as kids, mm. you know. They were successful, they had businesses. My Aunt Frankie had an MSW, Masters in Social Work, did a lot of work with Fresno State and the local high schools. So they were the model couple and family that we looked up to. And so when I got an opportunity to play basketball, they were the first ones to, um, my dad, obviously he bribed me. He was like, Hey, yeah, you know, hundred bucks. And then the coach basically put me on the team was like, Hey, I'm a, a project kid. You know, like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't earn my way on to the team. I'm six foot six and 215 pounds. Like that was, he was like, I can do something with this. Right. So he put me on the team, but then it was my aunt Frankie and my uncle Chuck who were like, you know, my first basketball camp, like they drove me, they drove me two and a half, three hours, you know, down the road to take me to my first basketball camp. Mm. But even prior to that, like we got to go to work with my uncle Chuck. So me and my cousins, my brother, everybody, we all got to go to work with my uncle Chuck, um, just growing up. And that's how we earned money. Like from the time that I went to live with my grandmother from the fifth to the eighth grade. And while I was with my dad and all that, like we would still go and go to work with my uncle Chuck. And so uncle Chuck owned a landscaping company. He owned a company, um, cleaning out, renovated like HUD homes, 
And uh, mm. so we would go to work with him. And so my Uncle Chuck was always very vocal about his values and very vocal about, you know, just telling us how to live, what to do, doing the right thing, uh, being good men, being men of our word, those kinds of things. And so, man, my Uncle Chuck is just, he was such a, he was just a, such an example to us that invested in us and put, put his money where his mouth is. And and I would also say that each, each and every one of my uncles were that way. Right. Mm. None of my, no one's perfect. Right. Obviously everybody has their own challenges that they deal with in, the, in life. And my uncle Ricky was the same way. My uncle Jack was the same way. My uncle Zach was the same way in their own way where they would, my uncle Zach drove my brother, down to Alabama from Fresno, California, when my brother went off to school and got a scholarship to play at Alabama State. Mm. Right? He drove me from Fresno to Irvine when I when I went to junior college for one year. So he drove, like he drove me to school. He drove my brother to school. Um, my uncle Jack, he would take me to work with him, and we would do shape. We would do sheetrock. Right. We would we would build homes. We would work on cars. Me and my uncle Ricky, we would swap out engines in in cars and transmissions. And these are all things that I, I I got to do because my grandmother wasn't going to let me stay in the house when I got kicked out of school, right? Like mm-hmm. she wasn't going to let me stay home and play video games. Yeah, like she was like, you, you, okay, you're not, you got kicked out of school, you're not going to be with us, so you're going to go to work. So it was like, well, Uncle Chuck, you got any work for me? Uncle Jack, Uncle's, you know what I mean? Uncle Ricky, Dad, like, where am I going to be because I don't, I don't know, how I'm going to survive uh, here at here at the house with grandmother today (laughs) right so yeah i mean my uncle chuck and and all my uncles were and my aunts too were all very formative in my life and so that's when you know when we start talking about my story it's like i try to also point to the fact that in the midst of adversity there's always examples that you can pick up whether good or bad Mm. that you can learn from and say what is this teaching me right now what am i going through right now because you know, in the adversity, in the valleys, that's where you really, that's where you really solidify who you are and what you really stand for. And I think it's funny because when we're kids, we hear our, our parents, we hear our uncles, people say things to us mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. like in one ear, out the other. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I recall uh, you talk about um, riding in the truck with your uncle, Uncle Chuck, and you say, don't be an idiot. Do the right yeah. thing. Make sure you're not yeah. disrespectful. Don't be disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, you know, when I've heard you say that before, I'm like, man, I hear, my say, I hear myself saying that to my kids. Mm. But I also hear my parents saying that, like, I hear my dad saying, like, don't be stupid. Like, why would you do that? Like, my, right. like even my mother to this day, and I'll be working hard and almost kind of breaking my back on hard labor. And I can hear my mother saying, use your brains, not your bronze. I'm like, oh, yeah. she, she was right again. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> the accuracy of a mother. But there's there's something about this of what what I love that you kind of talk about is that no matter where you are in your life and no matter what role models you have, you can glean from whether it's a good role model or a bad role model. I mean, you've really seen two different sides of having role models in your life from Mm -hmm. really bad to having a bad example to really good examples. How has seeing that dichotomy, those two different types of people in your life, how has that helped you to keep your eyes on kind of the guy you want to be, the the, the dad you want to be, the, the husband you want to be as you move forward in your career and in your life right now? How do those two different examples um, like cultivate that kind of guy that you want to be moving forward? I guess let me let me take a step back. I think the way I look at it, 
now is that we've all, all fall short, right? Everyone, I don't think there's a such thing as like good example, bad example. I think mm-hmm. it's good action, bad action, right? Mm. There's, there's certain, like my dad, he was so transparent with me about where he was in terms of like what he was wrestling with. He didn't, he didn't hide anything from me. Right. And transparency is like a huge core value of mine. Right. Because of that. And so I can't look at him as like bad example. He was one of the best at his craft as it related to his work. Right. Like that is a great quality. Mm. Right. And so I think that, and, and vice versa. Right. I think that when you've made bad decisions or, or taken bad actions, then like that is something that I can learn from. That's a good example of what not to do, you know, or what to be aware of or what to uh, be careful of, or, you know, how can I use these examples of decisions that other people make and apply them in my life, or at least help me be aware of a blind spot that I might have, like what might, or who am I hanging out with just to provide some context. Let me go back a little bit. My, my biological dad, he, I guess I'll just refer to him as my father because that'll help people understand who I'm talking about. Father one or father two, right? So father one, father one, like he was brilliant, but the family had owned, you know, lots of different properties. They lost some properties. And eventually my dad ends up in a situation in a conversation with someone that he shouldn't have been, that shouldn't have been in his inner circle who Mm -hmm. was like, here's what I'm doing to make extra money. Why don't you do what I'm doing to make extra money? I understand that you're dealing with some challenges in this real estate stuff, but why don't you get involved in, you know, in moving, moving some of these drugs, right. That I'm moving. Cause that's how I'm making money. Right. So I could look at that and say, wow, he took the bait and ended up getting involved in the wrong crowd and making the wrong decisions. And so he's a bad example. Or I could just say, wow, what can I learn from that? Who am I spending time with? Who do I have in my inner circle? Mm. And what can I be aware of when I go through challenging times and people are giving me advice? How can I better filter the, the, the advice that's being given to me in a, in a, when I'm in the, in the depths of my relationship and the person that gets referred to me is, is super excited about divorce Right. Or whatever it is. Right. Like we my all life go got better when I got rid of my wife. You should exactly. get rid of yours. Right. Exactly. I've had yeah. those. Right. I'm like, yeah. man, I was looking for some wisdom. I wasn't looking for <laughs> I wasn't looking for an exchange. I program. Looking, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and so I think about I just think about it like that, where it's like, how can I look at the decisions that people make around me and how can I apply mm. these principles in my own life as I see them play out in the lives of others. And hopefully if I do a good job of that, then I can stay in somewhat of a, a pretty healthy environment for myself that is um, safe, positive, encouraging, uplifting, um, inspired, those kinds, those types of things. Mm. That's so good. I love that you talk about the inner circle because I, I don't think people spend enough time surrounding themselves with the right people. And it's, I like what you say about, you know, there's, there isn't good example, bad example. It's good action, bad action. Who are are the people that are around you that are consistently making a good decision in their life? Uh And how can you surround yourself with those people? Because, you know, the, the more bad decisions you make, the more bad results that you get, the the more good decisions you make, 
the better results that you're going to get. I always, mm-hmm. I love, there's moments where smart things come out of my mouth with my kids and I'm like, oh, I should hold on to that. That's, <laughs> that's brilliant. Thanks God. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's one thing that, uh, like I'll, I'll talk to my kids and I'll say, you know, do you want good fruit or do you want bad fruit in your life? Yeah. And they'll say good fruit. Say, well, if you want good fruit, that means that you have to make the right decision. You know, yeah. if you if if you're going to make bad choices, you're going to get bad fruit. If you want to have yeah. good fruit, you got to make good choices. And I love that you say yeah. that, but it it really shines an importance of this idea of really needing to have people around you that make good decisions. And mm-hmm. I think I think even to what you're saying, and maybe I'm reading into this, but it's really important for us to make sure that the people that we're placing around us are pointing us to what good is, even mm-hmm. when we aren't seeing what good is. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm not always great in my lowest moments. And that's why I have to have a solid group of people that I go to. I'm like, Hey, is this a good idea? Should I sell my mm-hmm. left kidney? And they're like, Nope, that's not good. That's a, that is a bad investment. That is, that is a no return on investment. Yeah. Just don't do that. But I think I think it is important for us to have people around us that we give that power to to say, "Hey, I need I need your wisdom and your guidance in this." Uh, I might be mistaken, but I think one of those people in your life um, was your grandmother. Yeah. Your grandmother was huge to you, and I think it's uh, no surprise to me that throughout college, when you were playing basketball every single mm-hmm. night, you had mm-hmm. a conversation with your grandma. You call her mm-hmm. up on the phone. You'd be talking to her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there were even moments, if I'm not mistaken, you would come home and you would see your grandmother sitting in her chair mm-hmm. and she'd like motion you over to sit on the couch and mm-hmm. like have a chat. Usually when that mm-hmm. was with my grandmother, that was usually when I did mm-hmm. something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> usually the happy yeah. spoon and the sad spoon would come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm curious with those conversations that you had with your grandmother, her being such a pinnacle woman in your life, what were some of the most memorable conversations that you had with her that helped you kind of develop into the man that you are today? Yeah. Um, my grandma hit me one time, like punched me. Uppercut. <laughs> Was she a small woman? Was she reaching she was. for that? Yeah, 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 she was. My grandma was like, <laughs> I don't know, my grandma was probably like four foot eight or something like that. And she was just tough, man. She was just really, really, really tough, you know? But the thing that I remember the most about my grandmother was that when my older brother and I would wake up and miss the bus, like we lived, we were we were not walking distance from our school. So her and my grandfather, Tom, Thomas, uh, whenever we needed something, my grandmother would make it happen. We needed a ride to school. She would nudge my grandpa, you know, 6.30, 7.30 in the morning. Hey, can you go drop the kids off? You know, because we missed the bus. Like, we were knuckleheads, man. Like, the bus would literally drop us off right in front of the house and pick us up right in front of the house. And so, like, we would miss the bus. <laughs> you, you had to walk through snow because you forgot to go to the bus. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it was nonsense. Like, there was no reason for, there was no reason for our dereliction, you know? Mm. But, like, we could count on her, mm. you know? And, like, she was, 
like probably up until that point in our life, like we really couldn't count on somebody to have our back the way that we need it, you know? And, um, that's why it was like a no brainer to call and just check in and see how she was doing because we knew that like she was all in, you know, with us and for us and, uh, really did everything that she could while we had an opportunity to get the chance to be with her, to, to show us how she cared about us. Identity is such a huge piece. I think when it comes to when we show up and I think a lot of kids today are wrestling with that idea of identity. I love that you, you focus a ton on purpose. Mm -hmm. What's your purpose? Like, why are you here? Don't just, don't just uh, take a breath and not think about it. Think about every single breath as a gift. Right. Mm -hmm. And you are so passionate in this area of really wanting to see entrepreneurs shine, really wanting to see kids who maybe don't get all of the resources that they need, wanting them to take their own destiny, taking their own situation into their hands, much like what you've had to do your entire life. Um, where does that passion come from? Is that is that because of what you've experienced in life, was that something do you feel like that was kind of always it's kind of always been there? What, what would you what would you speak to in terms of passion for someone who doesn't really know what they're passionate about that maybe is struggling like, man, I, I, I don't have a crazy story or I don't feel like where I am right now in life mm. that I, I have a ton of passion to move forward. What do you, what do you normally mm. say to people? Cause I know that you're a passionate guy. I, I know that you love to inspire passion in young men and women. What, what do you say to the person that has that issue with getting that passion in their life, that uh, misalignment of identity of, of who they were created to be? Hmm. Well, I would say that first, like, what a great question. I feel like at a certain level, like there's not much I can say to someone who doesn't have passion. Hmm. But I, I would say that I always ask because I would say that that's probably the thing that is most consistent with who I am is I love to ask questions. And so I would ask that person to go on a journey to not only figure out what are the things that upset them, that bring them joy, that they're holding on to, that hurt, the things that they wish they could do. And within that, I think that there's a a few things that we can do because we have to, like we really have to take our eyes off of ourselves, but in order for us to do that, we have to really go deep into who we are in our own experience and really begin to unpack. Like, what do we really stand for? And what is our, what's going to be our foundation? And I believe that each, each and every one of us has have experienced things in our life that have completely shaped who we are as, as individuals. Mm. And some of those things are very painful experiences. And so I always encourage people to have a network of people around them that they can be safe with and, and talk with about their life. And that includes a counselor and a therapist because every single one of us have stories from our past and our present that are great and not so great that we can like really unpack because sometimes we don't, we don't have passion because we're in pain and we haven't addressed it. And as we begin to work on the things that are keeping us in a box or keeping us from feeling, then we could begin to reflect and go through and craft 
like what we want our life to represent. Passion isn't something, passion and purpose and those things, like they don't come find us. Like we got to go find them, right? We Mm. have to go experience life. We have to open our eyes to the things that potentially could be part of what our passion and our purpose is. And so some of that is paying attention to the things, like I mentioned, that anger us and that frustrate us. Like that means something, right? When you get angry about something, it's probably tied to something that has happened in your past that you can identify with. What does that mean? Right? Go there and figure that out. And once you've done that, then I would say, let's start to craft some core values, mm-hmm. right? My core values, integrity, responsibility, impact, commitment, and growth, like they're all tied to who I am as a person, but there's a story in each and every one of those core values that is like fundamentally like who I am, but also the foundation of who I am. Mm. And so go on a journey to figure out what are those core values and principles that you want to live your life by? Because I can guarantee you that if you don't have them, you have, you have them, but if you don't know what they are, it's going to be very difficult for you to make decisions and stick with them. So mm. if you're a person who, who makes, who sets goals and never achieves them, or you're, you know, bouncing from thing to thing, or you're always, you know, on a roller coaster of emotions, it's because something's off in your life. And it's because your life doesn't reflect your core values. And sometimes that's because we aren't taking the responsibility and we're not accountable to what we want our life to represent. So first and foremost, begin to heal and unpack what your own personal story, and then begin focusing on what are your core values and then focus on what are your unique, your uniqueness? What makes you unique, right? Mm -hmm. What are your unique capabilities? What do you do better than anyone else with the least amount of effort? It's like, and, and, I'm, and, I, and I can talk, I'm going to start preaching because it's just like, once Preach. you figure out your unique, your uniqueness, right? John says you're unique and your uniqueness. Don't focus on your weakness, focus on your uniqueness. So if you could focus on your uniqueness, when Gallup does their research on why people are disengaged at work, it's because they're doing things that they're not designed to do. So if you can yeah. focus in on what are you, what are you good at and what are your gifts and what are you like, what do you uniquely do better than anyone else? with the least amount of effort, then you can spend more time being engaged. And when you can spend more time being engaged, then you could truly tap into like what lights you up. And then once you get, once you start feeling lit up at work and at home and wherever you are, Mm -hmm. now you can really start to drive your life in this particular direction and really dive in on what is your passion and your purpose. I love, I love how you talk about, this idea of passion and it's not something that it finds you, you go and you yeah. find it Yeah. because I think so many times people are sitting on the couch and they go, I just don't feel like I'm passionate. Keith, I'm not passionate. Mm-hmm. How do I get passionate? I'm just yeah. waiting for the passionate bug to bite me. And it, it, yeah. that's not how it goes. In fact, uh, almost to what you're saying here, I think that passion comes from friction. Where mm-hmm. is the friction that you've had in your life? And if there's friction in a way that it's not beneficial to you, well, most likely you're not plugged into your gifts. You're not plugged mm-hmm. into a place where you should be. If you're experiencing friction at work right now, mm-hmm. it could be that maybe you're in a position that doesn't value you for your gifts and what you're good yeah. at. If yeah. you're an accountant and you're a really bubbly person and you love to hang out and talk with people, then um, there's a really good chance that pushing numbers on a spreadsheet all day is not going to you know, make you happy. And that doesn't mean that we don't have jobs at, at points in our life that challenge who we are and that we, we don't do them. Like there are jobs that we have to do in order to survive and get by. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a little bit of a side hustle, a little bit of a side thing that you mm-hmm. love to do that you're 
crafting that you're getting better at so yeah. that maybe one day it could replace that. But I think most people, when they think about friction in life, they, they only look for the friction of like, what is wrong in life mm-hmm. versus the friction of like, man, this was a, this was something that was in my past. It felt like it was friction back then. But as I look back, I'm realizing that it's a passionate, it's something that mm-hmm. makes me frustrated and angry about. It's something mm-hmm. that I absolutely have a joy around that I want to pursue, which I love the questions that you say, you know, um, what upsets you? Um, what hurts have you had? What makes you joyful? What do you wish you could do? Mm-hmm. I almost look at all those and I go, man, what are, what are the rubs? Like what's, mm-hmm. what's the rub when it comes to those yeah. things? And you start going, man, I need to, I need to move in this direction. I need to do this so that I can either hone in mm-hmm. or that I can alleviate some of the friction yeah. that I'm experiencing. Yeah. But I, th- I think most people today, they look at friction as a bad thing. Yeah. They look at a hard time as a bad thing. Oh, yeah. In actuality, yeah. I mean, friction makes fire. Like, it, mm-hmm. if, I mean, I'm not, I, I was never a Boy Scout. I can't say that I was out in the woods with sticks, you know, rubbing them together and going, oh, look, I made fire. <laughs> I, I probably couldn't even do that if my life depended on it. I might try, but I'd probably hurt myself like jabbing the stick in my hand or something. But friction is required in order for heat, mm-hmm. in order for an actual flame to get started. And I think I'm almost hearing that a little bit from you is that you, you got to get moving. You got to do something in order to start experiencing a passionate area. You won't be passionate in everything, mm-hmm. but there will be something that starts to ignite and light a fire under you. You had this awesome career in basketball. You get out of college and what happens after that? Like, I, I know for me, I got out of college and it was a really great time. The economy was doing horribly. I couldn't find a job. I thought mm-hmm. I was the issue, mm-hmm. uh, right? Cause that's the first thing that we start to believe is when things yeah. don't go right, it's my fault. I'm the issue I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be, there could be things, right? Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious for you, what was that next step in, in your career? Just to, just to kind of take you back just a little bit. So I did not have an amazing career at Portland state at, <laughs> I played, I played one year at, in the junior college and then I played four years at Portland state. I mm. uh, tore it, tore at ACL my uh, sophomore year in college. And then I came back and played like another two seasons after that. Mm. Um, but I didn't have the career that I wanted to have and it was actually horrible. And I actually had nightmares probably still until this day about basketball. Um, and so when I left college, I was dedicated to figuring out how I could live a life in, on my own and like control my own life essentially, because I essentially Mm -hmm. played sometimes, didn't play sometimes. So I wanted to go figure out how to take control of my destiny. Right. And so I went into sales. I I did my senior capstone in, uh, in social work. And I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go into sales so I can make as much money as I want and then I can donate. And then I'll make my impact that way. I'll have complete control over my life. And I successfully completed the worst career launch in, in world history by having 17 <laughs> jobs in 11 years. And it essentially ending with me leaving sales altogether uh, because I was so tired of working for companies who cared more about the sale than they did the customer. I essentially mm. went back to nonprofit, which is what landed me at Concordia University. I went there because I had three offers on the table. I had two other sales jobs that were going to pay me, you know, good money. But I took the Concordia job, which paid the least amount because I felt like it aligned with my passions. And, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, 17 jobs in 11 years, the average, my average tenure on any job was six to eight months. 
and if I'm not mistaken, there was actually a point in your career. It was, a, it was kind of actually a personal achievement to you that it was like 30 minutes after you were hired, mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually walked away from a job because of a core value being violated in you. Right. Cause that's how important yeah. a core value is to you. Yeah. You know what? I think, so this was at Heartland Payment Systems, actually. I worked there for two and a half years and I worked there and they, they branded themselves as a company that was all about the customer, right? They were all about doing what was right, all about integrity. And that lit me up. Like I was fired up about that, but they got acquired. And over time, when a company gets acquired, the values change. And mm. I sat across the table from a, you know, a Thai restaurant owner as he shared with me in you know, broken English, how frustrated he was with my employer because of how they, he was being treated on the customer, like point of sale side that he was, that he was, um, a customer of a customer of. And, um, I went to bat for him that afternoon and they didn't want to do anything about it. So I quit, you know, and I think that I had the courage to do that because I had started to learn how important core values were. And prior to that situation happening, I had scored a big, large customer. We told them we were going to save them a bunch of money. Two months later, I'm in there looking at the reports. They're not saving any money. And I called a mentor of mine. I was like, what do I do? And he was like, you got to make it right. So that night I sent an email and had the pricing changed. And the pricing change meant that I had to pay back $20,000 in commissions over the course of the next six months. And I knew that's, I knew that's what was going to happen, but I felt so good after, after that. Right. Like I could sleep at, I could sleep at night knowing I did the right thing. And that's when I think up until that point in my life, I tried to stick it out with companies or I tried to stick it out and like only, only do the right thing as long as it wasn't going to cost me anything. And after that decision, I started leaning into making decisions no matter what it cost. And that's when that situation was presented and they didn't want to do anything about it. And I said, well, I can't work here anymore. And then later on, when I went to work at Concordia and I recognized that nonprofit is just way too slow for me and my personality, (laughs) I felt like I was stealing money by working there. And Mm. that's when I put in a two week notice with no money in my bank account and no business plan, because I felt like I needed to make the right decision because I didn't want my legacy to be the guy who who was smart, intelligent, worked here, but basically only gave us 70%. Wow. So I went from hiding from, you know, trying to do the right thing to appease and please people and make other people happy to man honoring your core values rocks. Yeah. It's the rock, right. That you should build, that you should build your life and your, and your career and whatever else you're doing on, because there's ancient scriptures. that said there was two nice people. One built his house on the rock and the other built his house on the sand. Right. And it's like Mm -hmm. the same little story with the three little pigs. Right. Like you could run around and build, you know, a house of straw, you know, but ultimately in the end, it's the person, it's the pig who builds his house with bricks. Mm. (laughs) Right. And when you think about building a life, the only thing that's going to stand the test of time is your character. It's your Mm. core values. It's the principles that you choose to, to live your life by. And if you're going to violate those, then have at it, but don't be upset when it doesn't work out. 
And another thing that I'll, I'll speak to as it relates to that is the reason why I think so many times we're not passionate, we're not on point, we're not on purpose is because we're violating the things that mean the most to us, which is our core values. Mm. And if we can begin to honor those, then we could begin to develop confidence that will open doors for us. When we have nothing, we can have everything in the fact that we're honoring our core values. And that could be the only thing that we need to get the ball rolling in the right direction. I love what you're saying because it's so true. And so many people don't focus on the core values or even take the time to understand what their core values are. And whether, whether you own your own business or whether you are working for another business, you have to understand your core values because core values come into play every single day of your life. Do mm. your core values match the values of your employer? And if they don't, you're going to run into some problems later on down the road when you're asked to do something that is not in alignment with your core values and character. And if you break that, kind of mm -hmm. like we were talking about before with my with my kids, you either get good fruit or you get bad fruit. And if you yeah. if you are misaligned with your core values, you are in for a world of hurt. The same thing is true also when we're building a business too. And I think you mm -hmm. can speak to this in terms of entrepreneurs is entrepreneurs, they don't take the time to discover their values mm -hmm. to ask, who should I be doing business with? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Who are the people that I should bring on as employees or 1099s? Mm -hmm. Because we kind of go, oh, well, it's just, it's just someone else. It's not necessarily yeah. my business. They're just going to go out and sell things. They are 100% mm -hmm. an extension of your business. I'm curious in terms of core values, because we've talked a lot about core values in terms of, you know, your life specifically of how you're showing up in your, in your job and your work and, you know, on the court and all these different areas. I'm curious, how do you start to instill core values in your kids, right? Like mm. you, your son, how do you instill the right core values in them, knowing that each person has a different core value, right? Mm. Your core values are different than mine slightly. We, we, we still believe in certain things that are the same, but core values do determine our operations of how we live mm -hmm. life to life. I'm mm -hmm. curious from, from your perspective as a father, as, as you're watching your kid grow up, how do you pour into them a core value or how do you even recognize the core values that you know will serve them later on in life? I think it's a number of things, but I think number one, you have to have the, you gotta have the influence and you gotta have the relationship and you gotta have the conversation, right? I think that, um, out of all the interviews and the experiences that I've had with parents, with my parents, with my son, right? I think that the most like leadership isn't, isn't taught, it's caught, right? Same thing with yeah. core values, right? Like if I'm, I make, I try to make good decisions. I try to own, like when I do something wrong, I apologize. I'm sorry. Mm. Right. That means going to my son. If I, if I say something that is like not right, then I have to be man enough to go to him and be like, I'm sorry, son. I didn't, I didn't say that right. Or I didn't handle that the way that I wanted to handle that. So I think it's demonstrating it. I think it's demonstrating the humility when you need to be humble. Mm. I think that it's, if I'm having a conversation with my wife, right. And my son's there, it's like honoring my significant other in front of my son. I think it's demonstrated. I don't think that it's something that I think as much as I try to do stuff, there was like more direct, like I'm going to teach you. <laughs> never, not you never know? works that well. I'm going to teach you something. You. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, Get back here. I'm talking you. to you. 
Yeah. <laughs> look at me in the eyes. <laughs> look no, me look at me in the eyes. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and I, I don't know about you, but I have that that sense of responsibility and urge to teach. And more and more and more, I, I'm doing my best to just try to like explain perspectives and share stories, but not necessarily like try to impose my core mm-hmm. value on my son, but more so like try to be the example of what, um, what I think that he should see. So I think that, 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 that's like, my dad never came to me with like, this is transparency, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it's like, no, like, or this is how you have a positive mental attitude. Like, no, he was like, don't cry for me, son. Better days are coming. It's not always going to be this way. I think it's like responding to the things that we have to respond to as human mm-hmm. beings parents and kids and all that right in a in a proper way and, and recognizing that every single moment of our life like we have an opportunity to be part of the story that they're going to remember of mm. how did he handle it you know hopefully i did a, hopefully i hopefully i pass the test i love that you say that because i think you're right even for myself there's many times where i step in and i'm like i'm going to teach you something child come here i know, <laughs> here, I know something easel <laughs> right over here in section a you're gonna find right it never it never works out that way for some reason i don't know why like my kids are smart but they just don't listen to their father um but i think you're right it is it, i love that you say it's caught it's not taught and i think even 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 as parents i'll speak for myself even as a parent myself there are so many times where i would be so much stronger of a teacher to my children if i were to observe the kinds of teachings that I want to give my kids and live them myself. Yeah. Now be, be the demonstrator of that. You know, I, I always talk to, uh, you know, I've got a couple guys that I meet with on Friday mornings, uh, you know, for a Bible study. And I always, hmm. I always challenge them and I say, Hey, like if you want, if you want your, your daughters to marry a really awesome husband, well, you better become an awesome husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you mm-hmm. want your mm-hmm. boy to be a really um, awesome husband and find a loving wife, um, then you better be an awesome husband and you better like lift up your wife. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, no matter where you are in life, the question isn't what are you verbally teaching people? It's how are you teaching them mm-hmm. in your interactions and how you show up? Are you in alignment? I love, I love that idea of alignment, of being yeah. in alignment with those core values. You know, if mm-hmm. you haven't, if you haven't taken the time, Make sure you spend a little bit of time discovering what those core values are. You can you can reach out to Keith and he could walk you through what that looks like. I, I do have one more question here before we kind of wrap up, Keith. Before we do, I really do want to encourage each and every one of you who are listening, uh, go check out Keith. Go check out his podcast on purpose-driven entrepreneurship. Uh, it's called Purpose. And it is absolutely a fantastic podcast. He has some incredible guests talking about purpose and what does that look like as an entrepreneur and living that out day to day? So uh, go check that out. You can find him pretty much on every podcasting place. Keith, you know, so many people today are so focused up on success. They're focused on achieving goals. They're focused on doing more. They're focused on all the action pieces in life that they need to do. And I think a lot of times if we were to focus on who we're supposed to be, in attaining those goals, life would be so much easier because we would be in alignment with our actions because we wouldn't constantly be doing the things that we shouldn't be doing that go against our core of who we are. What part of your identity do you wish you had had a better grasp on early on in life? And 
would that have made a difference kind of in your journey? You know, obviously we kind of had the butterfly effect thing of, you know, we don't want to, we'd never want to go back and change anything because we learn so much and we get so much based off of all the decisions and the things that we've experienced. But I'm curious for you, if there was someone listening to this today and they had a piece of encouragement of like, Hey, figure out this specific thing in your life before you move forward in terms of identity of who you're created to be, what, what would you say to that person? What would you say to yourself of like, Hey, really find out this core piece before you start doing all the actions so that you don't get yourself, you know, out of alignment and, you know, in a whack. Um, what, what would you say to that person? Mm, man, that is a powerful question. And I, the only thing that comes to mind for me is I wish that you're a person of faith. I'm a I'm faith. I'm a person of faith too. I, I wish that I think, I think that we get infected with the success bug and from a very young age, we try to achieve things to make other people look at us a certain way. And I wish mm. that we really understood the value that our creator and father sees us as and that we could really see other people that way. Because I think that if we really understood the value of how we're seen without having to accomplish anything and that we could extend that to the other people in our life, that we would find that that life would just be better. I wish that I knew early on how important people were, right? Because there was a lot of jokes I wouldn't have told in high school. There's a lot of things I wouldn't have done in college. There's a lot of things I wouldn't have tried to pursue after college. There's a lot of jobs I wouldn't have taken. And there was a lot of, you know, to be honest, I think that there just, there just would have been a lot of decisions that I wouldn't have made, or I would have made them more carefully had I recognized how important other people were and mm -hmm. more, and how important I am too, right. To yeah. my own creator. Right. I think that, I think that I spent a lot of time trying to pursue certain things to prove certain people wrong or to prove certain things. And I think that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like people, people are the gift, you know, the, the, I would say relationships are, are really, really, really everything and really important. Um, and not really the accolades, right? Like the accolades, they rust, right? They're going to come and go, but, yeah. but what's going to be with us forever is who we were and how we treated other people and how people felt around us. That is amazing. And I love, I love that we kind of end on that of relationships because truly the relationships and how we make people feel so many times we think about, Oh, you always want to make everyone feel good. It's not always about yeah, making yeah, people right. feel good. Right. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes there's a good buddy. There's a good person in your life mm -hmm. that you have to show up and kind of be the bad guy to them. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Hey, yeah. stop that. Don't yeah. be an idiot. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you gotta mm -hmm. be driving down the road with them and they're going to look at you. Stop doing that. Like mm -hmm. you are going to mess up your life. If you keep going down this road, you got to do something yeah. different. Yeah. And it you may leave them with a feeling that isn't happy-go-lucky, but it's yeah. going to be a feeling that will last them and go. I remember that time when Keith and I were in the car, when Nathan and I were in the you know the gym, and he said that thing to me, and it changed my life because I realized I needed mm -hmm. to start doing something different with my relationships. And I can one hundred percent relate with you on looking back on the relationships that I've had in my life and going, man, mm -hmm. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish mm -hmm. I'd have done that. I wish. I wish that I would have treated people better. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I would have looked to God more and saying, God, is this honoring to you? Yeah. Is this honoring of my fellow man? 
does this lift you up and give you glory or is this does this give a bad name to you yeah am i a good reflection of my mm-hmm. father in heaven mm-hmm. and i think that's absolutely spectacular it's so good uh, so much wisdom i think we can keep on going here for at least another four hours <laughs> you got your you got your schedule open right now <laughs> right right it's totally open yeah. <laughs> uh keith i really do want to uh say thank you so much for being on the show uh it has been such a pleasure to have you on uh to all of you listening i want to remind you be more see more experience more than before 